Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, the spectacle in the skies that no one can see because of clouds and that somehow we are less enthused for reasons. Mr. Reuniverse bemoans the waning popularity of comets. Plus, we managed to badger resident wordster Emily Brewster, senior editor at Merriam-Webster, into ferreting out some animal verbs. And we were supposed to have 11th Hamden District State Representative Bud Williams come into the studios today at NEPM to talk about the Springfield preliminary election. But then yesterday afternoon, a three-foot water main broke in the wooded section of a street that goes right behind my house. And the rest of the evening and this morning has been a blur of emergency notifications. So instead, we go to the representative who is on the scene in his district. Hey, Bud Williams, how are you? Hello, Representative Williams. Thanks for doing this, with, given the circumstances. Right. So I'm Monty, and you're speaking with Khalees as well. And Hello. Khalees, is, uh, you represent her in your yes. district. I am, I am in your yeah. district. Not, not too far from where this break actually happened, <laughs> actually. St. James. The break was on St. James, I guess. Yeah, so that big Y is my big Y. And that's <laughs> where the main happened, the 36-inch main water break behind the big Y on St. James. Oh, yesterday. Yesterday afternoon. About 3.30. uh, Representative Bud Williams, who represents the 11th Hamden District in the Massachusetts House of Representatives on Beacon Hill, we'd hope to have you in to talk about your new election to the chair of the Black and Latino Caucus, which we hope to have you back um, soon to talk about that and maybe to talk a little bit about uh, the preliminary elections yesterday. And hopefully we have a second at least to talk about that. But because of this major water main break in Springfield, the mayor, Dominic Sarno, declared this morning a state of emergency. Uh, and as a boil order is in effect, Khalees woke up this morning not having any water or being able to take yeah. a safe shower. So tell us, Bud Williams, what you've been doing as a state representative representing a large swath of the district that's affected by this boil order. Well, first of all, thanks for the, doing the interview. Uh, yeah, you know, on yesterday, the mayor, l- late last night, declared a state of emergency with the 36-inch high-pressured main on uh, in a wooded area off St. James Avenue, is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to cost us millions of dollars for the infrastructure to get it done. So with that state of emergency, uh, the cooling centers normally are open during uh, when it's either too hot or maybe when it's too cool, like the the Raymond Jordan Center, uh, the libraries. And what uh, we're trying to do is get... uh, uh, bottled water, case of water to the seniors within our district, those who cannot get out and get to these stores. I think by now some of those stores have sold out of bottled water. Yeah, I was seeing that so, this morning. <laughs> yeah, they were they were uh, racking up, man. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, so so the health commission, Helen Carlton, uh, you know, seven several sites across the the city will be distributing uh, bottled water. And I thought it wouldn't be robbery for me to, you know, at least get into the district and, and, and go to some of our senior places like the Independence House, uh, the Costello, uh, Bergen Circle, the Motorcycle Building, mm-hmm. to make sure everything is under control and make sure, you know, the landlords are trying to do everything they can do to, uh, to facilitate uh, for, for the residents. Where is this water coming from, Representative Bud Williams? Is it a state? Is the state bringing it? Is it uh, emergency water that the city no. has? Bottled water. We have it. You know, you have the hey, the water department has a lot of bottled water. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> just on reserve for a situation just like this. I mean, you know, because because most of the time when we have uh, community parties and community days, 
they always bring out bottled water to give out. Mm-hmm. You know, the water department does. They do a great job in public relations. So a lot of it is coming from the water department. A lot of it is coming through Health and Human Services. Uh, you know, a lot of it is coming from uh, private, uh, you know, landlords and tenants. We just got to make sure that each and every citizen within Springfield, and particularly uh, the Lebanon District, that if they don't have access to water, we got to make sure they get it. So I, my staff, uh, my phone lines are open. We're just calling and checking with people because this is uh, – and, 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 the, and the, the ironic thing with all is that, I mean, a lot of people went to bed last night not even knowing. Mm. Yeah. And when, when they woke up this morning, it was uh, it was very chaotic yeah. all over. I mean, the no school and, Cause you know. Because school and was canceled in places in Springfield because of this water main break in the state of emergency. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But, the, yeah, yeah, no school. They, quit. they decided last night, late yesterday evening, not to have school which I thought was a very good decision Yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, no hot water, uh, the, the health thing, and, you, and, you, and you're still dealing with COVID-19 at the same time, mm-hmm. and you can't wash your hands. Well, I guess you can cook. wash your like, hands. But... Like, if they've got, like, meal programs there and they can't cook, or it's going to take, like, that much longer to do, like, that just ends up adding minutes to every child's day that just, like, that no one has. That was a- because some of our local restaurants are closed. Some of mm-hmm. the Dunkin' Donuts are closed. Some of the Starbucks are closed. Some restaurants are closed. Yeah. And I guess I got a, a email a while ago from the you know Burger Kings and the McDonald's and the uh, Taco Bells. They have a very limited menu uh, because the preparation of water can't be done. So The mayor of Springfield, Dominic Sarno, declared a state of emergency because of this water main break that happened behind the Big Y on St. James yesterday. Uh, any idea, Representative Bud Williams, what caused the water main break? We have a very, very old, fragile system in in the Commonwealth and in Springfield in particular. I mean, we could get a water main break every other week, basically. Uh, too much water, um, you know, system just can't handle it. And this could happen. You, you remember a few years ago when we had all the uh, main breaks downtown Springfield mm-hmm. on Main Street and Worthington Street. It's just a, it's a fragile system. The infrastructure. Uh, I wish we could just go in and and regut the whole infrastructure. These things have been around for hundreds of years. Our infrastructure. I mean, it's very fragile, and it's uh, you know, and when they go, that's when we go and repair. <laughs> if they don't go, uh, we just uh, let let it keep going. But uh, we want to thank, you know, the DPW, uh, Springfield Water and Sewer, for, for the hard and, and, and the good work that they do. Because at the end of the day, we have a very good uh, system in Springfield. One of some of the best water in the country uh, is here. And then and then we provide Ludlow with uh, with water also. I don't think West Springfield, only in, West Springfield, only in emergency situations, have they tapped into our water. So it's just uh, Springfield and I think parts of Ludlow with the, with the water band. But and uh, we won't, you know, until the state the state comes in, they're gonna they're gonna take a couple at least two tests on the water. The first test is positive or negative. They do the second test. We do the second round. Then they they declare okay, it's safe to drink the water. That could happen until tomorrow sometime. At least until tomorrow, the band is on. Is my understanding. That's really fast for a three foot wide water main. Like, I wouldn't have expected it to take that short a period of time. I was expecting to need bottled water up until, like, Friday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday. That's cool. I, yeah, I, but you could be right. 
you, oh, no. could, you could be right. <laughs> I mean, they're just, I hope, I hope not, but they're saying the first uh, information we had was hopefully by Thursday, if everything goes as planned. And we won't know that until Thursday comes. And um, you, you just don't know. Right. You just, I, I hope we're wrong because, you know, the longer it goes, the worse it gets. We're speaking with Representative Bud Williams, who's from the 11th Hamden District, representing parts of Springfield, who's under a water boil order right now because of this water main break. And you mentioned, uh, Representative Williams, that you were specifically reaching out to the senior citizens that may not have the ability to get out, to get fresh water. What should people do? What's your office number if people are listening to this and they need assistance from your office in particular? I got a point person, so I'm going to give you their number. Oh, good. handling them. 413. 246-1403. Great. So if people are in need of assistance and are can't leave their houses in Springfield, that's the direct line to get to Bud Williams' point person well, yeah. for this water main break. There was no preparation for it. I guess that's the long and short of it. You had, no one was prepared. It seems um, weird, though, that that would happen, Like especially after they'd had breaks downtown, like to look at the system and be like, okay, well, we know that this is fragile. I guess we'll just wait. <laughs> until the next break no, but, happens. But, but I think the unusual piece with this piece is that typically when we have a water main break, it doesn't compromise the drinking water. Mm-hmm. Mm. See, when we had downtown, I mean, they shut you know they shut the water off. The pr- water pressure isn't where it should be. But there was never ever. This is the first time I think that I remember in my recollection that there was a water boil ban with a main water main break we had one you they, you know pretty they, they pretty frequent and this is the first time i can remember that we had a ban i don't remember ever having a ban. usually the system isn't compromised the water the drinking you know the thing is the drinking water is at bindy's island water sewer so all the runoff anything water runs off in the streets to the sewer to the storm drains they go over to bindy's and they have to filter it mm-hmm. right so when they filter it, then they make it clean. But I guess this got compromised somehow, and I have yet to be told how. But I have never, to my knowledge, never, ever remember having a, a water ban because of a water main break. I, did, I know the pressure. Now, yesterday, I got, we got, because it was election day, but the pressure went in Springfield yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes. There were pockets in the city that didn't have water. I just, because I got a couple of calls during the, during the ele- uh, 16 acres, parts of 16 acres, the water pressure was off. Uh, some parts of Indian Orchard, because mm-hmm. uh, I got a couple of phone calls. So, the, you know, it's really, because I, I was out during the election, you know, so I didn't, we were out running around, but, but, but later on, when we got the intel, it came back and, you found out there were pockets in the whole city, from 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 McKnight to way out on Parker and uh, Wolverham Road, then over on Indian Orchard side, Berkshire over in there. I mean that was, you know, like a like a Bermuda Triangle here, there, and and over here. We appreciate that you ditched no. us today in the studio for this important emergency with a state emergency in Springfield to do yeah. it at the constituent service. We hope to have you back uh, to talk about the Black and Latino Caucus and some oh, of absolutely. the things that you're absolutely. really focusing on on Beacon Hill. But very quickly before we let you go, thoughts on the preliminary election yesterday? It looks like City Councilor Justin Hurst and Mayor Dominic Sarno, your thoughts on the, the Springfield mayoral election? You were a candidate for mayor yourself before you were a representative yeah. on Beacon Hill. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, I think they all ran good 
good, credible campaigns, and uh, you know the the voters have decided that it's going to be Hearst versus Sarno. It should be very interesting. Uh, and running for mayor, it's 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 tough. It's a citywide election. Uh, it's a one person vote. It's not a city council vote where you can vote for five individuals right. or vote for your at large. So uh, hopefully we'll we'll stay tuned. All right. Are you encouraged by the fact that it was one of the higher voter turnouts for Springfield? In certain areas, I was, I was a little disappointed. Uh, I think the it was a probably 13% turnout. I would suggest to you that in some of our uh, more urban areas of the city, the voter turnout wasn't at 13%. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get out to East Forest Park at 16 acres, they probably voted closer to 18%. And we get into the inner the inner city of the city. Uh, I don't think that turnout was even ten percent. So no, I'm 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 happy that people came out, made their decision. But we always want to encourage more participation in the process. Yes. And uh, you know, primary people. The primary is probably well. I'm not gonna say it's more important than the general, but the primary determines who goes to the finals. And some people don't think primaries are that important, so a lot of people stay home. Do you think City Councilor Justin Hurst has a fighting chance against the incumbent Mayor Dominic Sarno? Yeah, yeah, he's got he's got to make the case. You know, uh, Sarno, I think he's got almost a twenty point victory. That's that's uh, that's a large obstacle overcome, but it's not uh, insurmountable. It just takes a lot of work. And remember, it's a sprint now. What you got six weeks, mm-hmm. basically uh, two, four, six weeks in the election, so you don't have a whole lot of time. And uh, I think Justin is young, energetic. Uh, you know, he's going to work hard. But you know, Sarno's been around. He's uh, he loves what he's doing. Matter of fact, last, last night uh, I think he came to his victory celebration a little late because this was all going on. Yeah. So he had to go deal with this at the same time. What's well, so, good that he did that, so because if he good. hadn't, the, PR, the optics of that are real bad if he shows up on time yeah. to his party. Yeah, yeah, not... but he, yeah, people. I, I think some people uh, in this campaign were a little uh, – uh, didn't feel too good about that. But at the end of the day, you're still mayor. Yeah. And this was really uh, this was really an emergency. This wasn't one of those uh, going for some show and get a photo op. This is serious business, mm-hmm. you know. When you start talking drinking water, no, that's yeah. – that's yeah. as serious as it can get. It just really is. That's vital to all of what we do, food preparation, drinking, showering, uh, brushing your teeth. So he, he did. I think he did the right thing. I think the city responded, and they responded quickly. Uh, I'm just – this thing happened at 3.30 on yesterday afternoon. I went on, it took eight hours to determine. And like you said, some part, some, in some parts of the city – Water pressure was gone. I don't know if the, if the water was compromised at that point, but but yet still they said, okay, uh, this is 11 o'clock at night. If you prepared anything after 3 o'clock today, <laughs> don't use it, mm-hmm. throw it out. Yep. Eight hours later, a lot of people have absorbed. They've been drinking water. They've been cooking food preparation and what, what have you. So Yeah, and there's been no health, health response about that afterwards either, so it will be interesting to see that too. Yeah. Okay, thank you, folks, for showing some interest. I'm going to go pound the pavement. All right. Good luck. Thank you, Representative Bud Williams, for chiming in and for the work that you're doing to try to make sure everybody's getting water in your city. Okay, thank you. 
Parts of Chicopee, Ludlow, Wilbraham, Longmeadow, and East Longmeadow have also been affected by this water main break, but the Springfield Water and Sewer Department has a tool on their site that you can use to determine if your address has been affected, and we'll post that information on our podcast page. Soon, and other things the weather has ruined for us, stargazing. A whole comet came through and we missed it due to cloud cover. Mr. Universe, Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid will talk to us about how we all should probably be more excited about comets. And up next, we fish around for animals we use as verbs with word nerd Emily Brewster. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. It was fun being at your birthday party at the rendezvous the other day. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Yeah, my birthday was actually in July. Oh. Happy extra belated birthday. Yeah, weird. Thank you. Yes, I did celebrate on, on Sunday. Any PM zone, Peter Sokolowski from Merriam Webster was there. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen him hanging out as a human being except for at our, the at wine, our wine lover's dinner there. That was so. six months ago. I know, right? How did you I get I to hang out with him twice a year. That's your quota. How did I do <laughs> doing my karaoke version of Neil Diamond's I Am? I said. Oh, yeah, you totally ruled. A masterful rendition. I am, I said. This is happening to both of us. Yeah. (laughs) I am, I said. Franklin County resident and summer birthday person, Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield. We got an email from Ed in Agawam. We've talked about this email on the show before. He says, love your show. You guys rock. My friends and I have been using fox as a verb for quite a while now. It's a way to describe friends or family who drank the Fox News Kool-Aid hook, line, and sinker. Oh, my God. Suzette got foxed so badly nobody even calls her anymore. They foxed the country so bad people are ready to start another civil war. It almost sounds like a swear, which is part of the reason why I like it. But, Khalees, you have been coining a an animal verb yourself that we've been using in the <laughs> office lately. Do tell. So... Both Monty and I have somewhat mild cases of ADD, and so when we initially go to do something and then something else will distract us and we immediately forget about that first thing we were trying to do, I've been calling it goldfishing. We'll say that, like, I meant to do that, but I entirely, I just goldfished. And we understand what it means. Because goldfish, as many people know, allegedly have a memory that lasts like two seconds. And then, you know, see uh, Finding Nemo and and the Dory character. Yes. I I suffer from short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Can I help you? Something's wrong with you. Is this a common thing? Not so much that we're coining our own words, which I know... We do sometimes. That's the and, nature of language and, to and coin pe- terms yeah, and then have them the catch time. on and become part of the actual lexicon. But what about verbing animal names like goldfishing? Yeah. Oh, there's a long, long history of doing it. And it, it makes perfect sense, right? In some ways, it's a it's a function of anthropomorphization, right? We are, we are impressing on the creatures around us qualities that we have or we're recognizing in them something that seems analogous to what we behave or what we know. And then... We use them like metaphors. Our listener, Ed Nagawam, foxed. That's one that's already being used, not necessarily in regards to the uh, the television network, right. but being, getting outfoxed is something that we've been saying for quite some time, I'm sure, right? 
Right. To be outfoxed is a much older use of it. Late, yeah, late 19th century is when the term outfox came into use. But this is a different use that right. this listener is talking about because it's it doesn't relate to the animal. Although I assume the network name, you know, originally traced back to the animal. I guess 20th Century Fox, since it was their TV division and then became another entire thing. I'm not entirely sure how the evolution of that particular network came about, to be honest. I don't know. But I mean, but it's clear it, and it doesn't really matter. Right. The association is with what the function of the network is right now or what it is perceived to be in this particular way. Right. This is not about the television shows. It's about the news programming. So it's a very particular application. But the term, as, it, as they've coined it and are using it, it's got a lot going for it because its, it's meaning is, is pretty transparent in context. If you are a big fan of Rachel Maddow and you believe everything she says, maybe you get peacocked. <laughs> maybe you do, yeah. Monty is the coolest, funniest, most handsomest person I have ever or will ever know, even though I'm super famous now. But we do have a long history of verbing these animal names. What are some fun ones that maybe Ed Nagawam wants to include into his use of fox as a verb? I happen to like squirrel. Squirrel! I get accused of squirreling things because I'm, I'm very good at finding an object that is not where it belongs and then putting it somewhere and then often forgetting where I have put it. They're, they're... <laughs> squirreling things away. This, yes. is, this is something that we all, we all do. I even have a dear friend who I refer to as the wine squirrel who was uh, <laughs> guilty of doing that very thing, squirreling wines away. What do you squirrel away? Words, Emily Brewster? What do you have hiding in the corners? Oh, I do squirrel corners? away words sometimes, uh -huh. yes. No, in my family, the most famous thing that I have ever squirreled away is a pair of boots that I bought for my son when he was like three years old and I bought them at the end of the winter season they were on sale and I bought them for the following winter season and I scrolled them away and no one has seen them since oh and my he is now oh. 12 they have they have they are gone I really <laughs> nobody knows so now when I can't find anything at home you know my, my family says that we, we all say that it's with the boots <laughs> I love that. Whatever it is, whatever it is that is missing, oh, it's it's with the boots. What are some other you fun know, animal verbs? Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Springfield. I think badger is an interesting oh, one. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. funny. If you badger someone, you harass or annoy them persistently. <laughs> I think this one is interesting in part, or especially because it doesn't have to do with the behavior of badgers. You know, a squirrel, we know why people squirrel, why we say that people squirrel things away, because we observe squirrels taking acorns and, and hiding them away so that they can eat over the winter. But the verb badger has to do with um, the sport of baiting badgers with dogs. Huh. So it's actually the badger who is being harassed. Oh, <laughs> no, I feel so bad about this. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. So when you're badgering someone, you're really being like a dog going after a badger. Doggone it. Well, that's not a verb. <laughs> Ferret is also yeah. you know, a pretty interesting one. That also <laughs> is, uh, is from hunting. Ferrets were previously used to flush out rabbits and other game animals that had burrowed underground. So you'd send your ferret down there. And that's how, how the verb ferret came to mean, you know, to find and bring to light by searching. We will ferret example. it out using yeah. literal ferrets. Mm -hmm. We need to do that more often. They're cute. They are cute. They smell terrible, but they're, they're really cute. Yeah, I think they're legal in math now. <laughs> they are. What are some other animal-related verbs, Emily Brewster from Merriam-Webster? Oh, snipe. 
snipe. There's snipe. It's a little violent, you know, to shoot at someone from a concealed location. I never even thought about that as an animal. I don't even think I think of it as an animal. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. A snipe is a it's a kind of bird. Mm -hmm. Slender billed bird of the sandpiper family. Did you use the slang version of snipe when I was a smoker? If you put your cigarette out, but we're gonna finish it later, we used to call it sniping it. Ooh, no. We'll have to use it in published and edited text and get that in the dictionary from my old neighborhood gang who used to do that. And you know about the colloquial use of it for for dating, right? No, do tell. Uh, It's seeking out somebody in the crowd that you like and or blocking your friend from from getting somebody that they were interested in. Huh, I can think of rooster-related uh, verb that we could use here that I think people would not that want I was, me to say on the radio. I, that I think I was carefully trying to avoid saying. I do believe. Snipe might be a much better way to say that. <laughs> Other fun animals that are verbs now, Emily Brewster? Oh, well, there's weaseling, right? Mm, totally. Yeah. Weasel your way out of something. Yes. Right, right. It has this association of sneakiness and insincerity. And, uh, you know, it's like weasels, I guess. Uh, they appear very sneaky and weaselly when they are preying on other animals. You know, they, they can squeeze their way into a chicken coop, for example. Mm-hmm. Yes. And somehow do it less cutely than ferrets, so we hate them. <laughs> yeah. Weasels were just a little bit cuter. We wouldn't mind. We wouldn't mind so much. I don't know if I could tell the difference between them and a lineup. I don't think. They're much like bigger. Really... Aren't they scarier? They're... Aren't like fisher cats a type of weasel? <laughs> yes. Those fisher are, cats are a type of weasel. As anything I've ever yeah. heard or seen. <laughs> It's literally yeah, just size, you know, like it took me years to realize that ferrets were ermines and ferrets are, are tiny weasels. And when they get smaller, it's just cuter. Yeah. What but, about things that we use more frequently like bear? I used bear as a joke uh, when we were talking about the promoing this show today that I'll have to bear with it. Does the or you etymolo- grin and bear it or grin and bear it. Does that have an etymology that has to do with the animal, the bear? Or is that have more no. to do with the TV show, the bear? Say yes, chef. I'm so tough. Or that just comes from a totally different place? Yeah, they are two distinct etymologies. So the animal traces back to an Old English word, or it has a has a relation with an Old English word that means brown. Its Old English relative meant bear, it referred to the same animal, but then that word shares a, like a, an ancestor with the word for brown. The animal one and has to do with the, the color brown. One. Okay, yep. not bear, like yep. what can brown do for you? And like UPS bears your packages <laughs> to your house. No, I they're mean... separate. The verb comes from an Old English word meaning to carry or to bring forth. The swiftness with which my brain imagined what that commercial would look like. <laughs> With a, with a big bear, with the bear bringing, the dressed in a UPS outfit, bringing packages <laughs> to your house. I'm, I'm here for this. In- Another one that doesn't have any relation to the animal is is cow. You know, if you if someone is cowed by something, they you know, they have they have lost their courage or their resolve. Huh. I'm a cow. I'm a cow. I'm not a cat. I don't say meow. That is unrelated to the animal cow. So you can't blame that on any cows. Too bad, because that one definitely sounds like you would think that one came from the animal. I don't think of cows as the bravest of animals. Oh, they are sometimes right. aggressive, though. Yeah. They can be threatening. Especially yeah. the bull aspect them, of the cow. good for them, you know? They've, yeah. they've, they've been through a lot. Yeah. I learned this in my walks in, in high school. I had to walk across the prairie that my high school had to get to the bus for my internship. And the herd was inevitably in the space that I had to walk across. And boy, are they fast. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> um, I would just barely outrun the real curious ones and, like, launch myself into the, the water ditch <laughs> to get away from them. <laughs> Fun times in Khaleesi's teens. Uh, do we get to count fishing as one of these words? With a PH? Sure. With a PH. Well, 
Well, I mean, it's informed by the animal. I was going to talk about catfishing. Yeah. Oh, which is that. you know that's even spelled like it's it's very much it's a it's a definitely a verbing yes. of an animal's name. And yes. it's not dissimilar to fishing with the ph in regards to what you're trying to trick somebody. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's Talk right. To, if people yeah. aren't familiar with catfishing as a, a term, as slang, and as a animal verb, what is catfishing? It means to you're deceiving someone by creating a false personal profile online. So it could be on a dating app. You can come up with a completely false persona, and you're you're using that to bait someone into giving you money. Or yeah, I think it's usually money right they're trying to defraud someone by using a, a fake profile yeah it was uh 2010 that ariel shulman released a, a documentary called catfish it was about his brother's experience with a woman who had pretended to be someone else online hey megan hi how are you your voice is not at all what i expected i mean she must be pretty awesome at least from facebook so it's really that documentary maker who coined the word. Do we know why they chose catfish? Is it because it is a fish that's pretending to be a cat? Well, it had to do with um, how fishermen transporting live cod would put catfish in with the cod on these long haul shipments so that the cod would stay active and alert. Hmm. Not so that they could yeah. change like the weight of the amount of fish they were bringing in or something like that. No, <laughs> no. It's weird, right? It is yeah. weird. And interesting yeah. Interesting that a documentary filmmaker decided to go and pick that animal because of that. And it's now common parlance as far as I'm concerned. It seems funny that it would be that and not like its connection to canoodling, which is a bizarre practice. Wait, what does catfish have to do with canoodling? So that's, a, it's a method of catching catfish where you use your limbs. Oh yeah, like hillbilly hand fishing they call oh. it. Yeah, there's a whole, there's both documentaries on the catfishing in regards to the scamming people thing and on hillbilly hand fishing. Yes. Hillbilly hand fishing. This is just not natural. He's got my toes. I didn't know it was called canoodling. Yeah, though. called canoodling. It seems gross. Canoodling. You stick your arm you in the mud. You stick your arm or a leg in, <gasps> and you wait for the catfish to bite and you hope and the, that you catch the catfish before you lose something. Yeah, you pull it out well, that way. So this woman who who had catfished the the filmmaker's brother, her husband said that she was analogous to the catfish that are kept to keep the cod lively, Do, wow. doing a doing a doing a service, I guess, by, by keeping people on their toes. That's toxic. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other fun ones? Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster, animal verbs we're talking about today. Thanks to our listener, Ed from Agawam, who suggested that they, he's using the word foxed in regards to people who have been perhaps duped, depending on your political bent, and by Fox a, News. And then I have a question about usage. Okay. We should mention, um, you know, if plagues can be fun, which we all know they cannot be, really, but rat is a verb. If you rat out someone, yeah. you inform on them. You tell authorities something that they have done. And this probably goes back to the role of rats in the in the Black Death and the Great Plague. You know, they had fleas that had dusted in their fur and then that spread the disease. And so nobody likes rats. Would you tell on somebody that had the plague and that's why you ratted them out because they got the plague from a rat? Or I don't understand how it evolved to us. Right, right. It snitch. probably has more to do with idioms like like rats fleeing a sinking ship. Uh -huh. This idea that rats are not faithful, uh -huh. that rats are rats are going to turn on you and uh, and maybe kill you. Rats. Ah, <laughs> oh, rats. Rats. What was your usage question? Are many of these used in non-gerund form? As we have ratting out and catfishing and weaseling, 
clearly they can be used in other ways, but it seems as if the gerund form of these is the more popular or widely used. I'm not sure that I that I think it is really. Okay. Like if I uh, think about like somebody weaseled something out of someone, you know, a true gerund would be the subject. It wouldn't just be in the ing form, but it would be in the subject position of a sentence or a clause. Right. So, you know, weaseling out of things is my specialty, for example. Then <laughs> no, that would be don't a gerund. we know it. That is not true, oh. <laughs> by the way. I should get better at weaseling out of things. <laughs> like this show. Oh, yeah. But it's so um, fun to talk about words. words. That's one of our favorite segments. <laughs> I'm not trying to weasel. Um, and then parrot, like, I don't know. Somebody is parroting back things that they've heard. Mm-hmm aping the movements of somebody else. I think that they really do function as true verbs a lot of the time. Mm. Well, we hope that Ed and Agawam feels that we have egged on his curiosity. That's a food verb. Well, but it's kind of like a baby animal almost. (laughs) It's an unborn animal. When it comes to the word fox as a verb in describing people who are devotees to Fox News. And if, you, if you're like Ed from Agawam and you have something you'd like to address with the word nerd, send us an email to fab413 at nepm.org. And you as the listener and Khalees and I will both fawn over our favorite word nerd, Emily Brewster. More baby animals <laughs> as verbs. Good one. <laughs> On the way, our waning interest in comets with Mr. Universe Salman Hamid. Don't worry, I still love you, comets. We'll always have Haley's. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Time for some more kitchen table astronomy with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe. We bumped you from your regular Monday slot this week to focus on farms, which was all very good, but... We also uh, robbed you of an opportunity to see something incredible in the sky, or at least at a time, many humans would have thought it was incredible in the sky. And now we're all like, meh, what's the latest TikTok video? What did we miss this week, Mr. Universe? So there is a comet that was recently discovered. It's uh, named, uh, nicknamed after uh, the discoverer. Uh, It's called Comet Nishimura. Uh, named after the discoverer, who's from um, who's a Japanese amateur astronomer, who discovered the comet just this past August. And uh, it has brightened up. It is coming close to the sun. Uh, actually, in fact, uh, just September 12th was its closest distance from the Earth. And September 18th would be the closest to the sun. And this is the first time we know that this comet is coming in. But now astronomers have figured out its path, and it looks like it has a period of about close to about 400 years or so. So we missed it, and we have to wait 400 years to see it again? Yes, that, that <laughs> is correct. But that's at the point. What I, what I was intrigued by, you know, the weather, it's been raining. Yeah. And I was, it was visible in the northern hemisphere, sort of like right in the pre-dawn time. So, and, and it would barely be visible with the naked eye, uh, but certainly with a binocular uh, or with a small telescope, you could see this green-colored comet. And that would have been cool, but I don't know because it is not clear here. Mm. And, and especially in the New England area, you go like, ah, you know, all of these phenomena, oftentimes they go by the cloud side. Yeah. So anyway, so probably it's not going to be visible in the Northern Hemisphere anymore. Mm-hmm. It's going to make a pass close to the sun. And of course, it's pre-dawn because it's very close to the sun. But then it's going to be visible more from the southern hemisphere on its way back out to the outer solar system. To me, it was just, I was just thinking about it, how 
comets, the arrival of comets, the detection of comets, who has played such an amazing role in human history. And here we are talking about it. Oh yeah, you know, there was a comet that kind of came, you know, that was detected. Oh yeah, oh, by the way, and it's going back out the solar system and it doesn't matter. There was just a little bit of, maybe it's my age, like, you know, yeah. it's the midlife crisis. Kids these days don't yeah. care about comets like they used to. <laughs> it's just this ruefulness in terms of that we are not connected to nature in the same way. And of course, if you and I were having this conversation, say, for example, 500 years ago, we would have to shout very loud to reach a lot of people. <laughs> so in that sense, I mean, hear it's ye, good. <laughs> hear ye, a comet hath arrived. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so yeah, so so this comet, it has a green color. We didn't know why comets, some comets have green colors, but a couple of years ago, uh, there was a paper that actually showed sort of like, you know, that this is sun's radiation that hits the head of the new head of the comet. And there are these diatomic carbon atoms or molecules that like, you know, two carbon atoms combined. And when it gets excited, it actually gives light in the green light and these diatomic carbon molecules are only in the head of the comet so the head is green beautiful and then you have a long tail which is not green mm, that's and cool so yeah so you know so there are a lot of cool things to say about it it's a small comet we think it's going to survive the passage close to the sun but there is also a chance because it's small maybe it will get sort of like you know shattered uh, we don't know but because this is, like you said, just discovered in August, named after the amateur astronomer in Japan who uh, discovered it. What's his name again? Uh, his name is Nishimura. But there is a really cool aspect to it. And astronomers now think there is a small meteor shower in December, uh, and it's called uh, Sigma Hydrids. So meteor showers are when the Earth, going around the sun in its orbit, passes through leftover dust from previous passage of comets. So we just go through and those tiny little particles actually burn through the atmosphere, dust particles, and we see them as shooting stars. That's why we can predict when there's gonna be a meteor shower. Exactly we know when we're going to pass through the Halley's Comet tail. Right. And, you know, and then we, you know, we can say the Perseids are gonna be this time of year because we know that's when we'll be going through some other comet's tail. And we also know that that's the time to make wishes because of course yeah. these dust particles are the ones that make all of your wishes come true. <laughs> when you shooting stars <laughs> but in this case they think that this small meteor shower in mid-december is because of dust left over from this comet and so here is a beautiful prediction and test if that is true then we are going to see sort of like brightening up a lot more meteors in mid-december from this meteor shower because the comet has just passed through. That's cool. So this is sort of like, you know, here is your own science. Do your own science. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> it's fun because it's so cloudy, so rainy, we probably wouldn't have actually been able to see the comet all that well this week anyway. But the meteor shower gives us more of a chance and we're more prepared for it because it's happening in December. This comet that we missed this week was just discovered in August. Let's say, hypothetically, there is a comet we're going to discover, but its orbit is directly aimed at the Earth. That would not go over very well. The dinosaurs experienced this for us 65 million years ago. What's the likelihood that there is a comet that we don't know about that could be on track to destroy us all? Not that we're trying to celebrate the beauty of comets here, but they may be out to kill us. 
Well, as they say, like, you know, when it says awful, that it's full of awe. Yeah. Right? So destruction, I mean, that would be pretty spectacular destruction. It would be awful. It would be terrific. <laughs> it should also be full of terror. That is one of the problems with comets. I mean, if you think it's a problem. Uh, and that is, there are a lot of programs to detect threatening asteroids. And from small ones, from half a kilometer up, uh, NASA has a directive to that. And astronomers have been pretty successful in looking at those asteroids that cross Earth's orbit and so on and so forth. Comets, there is always a problem. So, of course, we know comets that return and things like that, but then there are a lot of comets that come for the first time because they come from the outer parts. The Oort cloud, for example, this is an area where a lot of these comets are. Uh, they can be bumped in their orbit and start to come in. Or they can have long periods, or like, for example, in this case, uh, it has a 400-year period, but we didn't know that it has come here before. So to your question, absolutely, that can happen. And they can come from any side. I mean, it's not like, hey, uh, let's keep on pointing our telescope in this direction. No, they can be coming from any side, including from behind the sun, for example, like on that side, which would be harder to detect. So people do try to look for it, but are we 100% sure this is not going to happen? No. That can happen, and hence you have movies that actually uh, don't look up. There's uh, something you don't like the looks of. We discovered a very large comet. Oh, good for you. It's headed directly towards Earth. Or not Armageddon, but <laughs> Deep Impact. Last summer, two comets were discovered that are on a collision course with Earth. So you can have potentially uh, those type of scenarios. But again, I would put it in that context that Comets have also brought potentially water, although asteroids have also brought water. Uh, they also have organic compounds, ingredients for life, sort of like you know, amino acids and other kind of complex molecules that are essential for life. So their impacts on Earth have not always been just bad. In fact, we may be talking about it because comets crashed on Earth. But if they crash now, we won't be here but whether that's a good thing or not, <laughs> that depends upon who you ask. Because, no, I'm going to go on this rant. Because, I mean, what we are doing to the environment, what are we doing to the other species? Would some most of the other species send a thank you note to the comet? Maybe they will. <laughs> so, oh, sorry, I just got distracted by, by that stuff. But no, but that, that can happen. But I don't think we can do much about it at the present time. Okay. But this one is not only going to not crash here, but now you can't even see it. Not for another 400 the, years. No, uh, unless you go to the Southern Hemisphere uh, by next week. Plan a trip. <laughs> Plan a trip. <laughs> the discovery of comets has led to many other interesting cascading discoveries from some of the most famous astronomers through history. Right. So, I mean, I find the importance of comets, and this, is, this goes back to this thing that we are just talking about it. Oh, yeah, the comet, yeah, it came, and yeah, we didn't see it because it was raining. Yeah. Ah, boo-hoo. <laughs> but, <laughs> but actually... Historically, they have been crucial. Of course, Shakespeare mentioned it in his play, Julius Caesar. When beggars die, there are no comets seen. The heavens themselves blaze forth the death of princes. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. That's because there is an actual temple in Greece dedicated to Julius Caesar, or uh, it's Temple of uh, the Comet. And that was because uh, after the death of Julius Caesar, there were games that were held in his honor. And at the start of the games, a bright 
comet appeared and his um, son Octavius, who later on became Emperor Augustus, he said, aha, look, this is the soul of Julius Caesar going to the heavens and he made him basically divine. And of course, it was good also because he was the son. So, yeah, you know, totally. could, like, you know, adopt yeah. I hope son. my kids believe I'm divine when I'm dead. <laughs> right, exactly. So, and, and then he dedicated this temple to that and he minted coins with comet on it. So just think about it, 44 or 42 BCE and you have coins which have comet on it and it played of course a role in the history of Rome. So here is just one example of it. But more to our point, our relevance to us, uh, is that there was a debate where uh, from Aristotle's time, or Aristotle's theories, from Aristotle's perspective, there are two big realms. Something that is below the moon or sublunar which is where all the things change. Uh, but there is the other realm, which is beyond the moon, supralunar, where things are just perfect. That's the realm of the gods. And you cannot have any change because any change from perfection is imperfection. Mm -hmm. So if you are perfect, then nothing changes. So this was the big sort of a cosmological model in some sense that we lived in, that well, beyond the moon, nothing happens. So then of course, as, a, as you can see, comets used to come. Comets, you could see comets. Where are they coming from? Well, the idea was that probably those are atmospheric phenomena. Those are not beyond the moon because, of course, beyond the moon, things don't change. Yeah. And that's not true, kids. It's oh, Aristotle's that's, view. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Thank you. But uh, Tycho Brahe, uh, one of the Danish astronomers, he observed a comet in the 16th century, in 1577. It was a bright comet and he measured a distance to that comet uh, through parallax, by the way. This is sort of like, you know, the way to measure distances. And he found that it was at least four times the distance to the moon. And he could demonstrate that. And at that time, by that time, Aristotle's ideas were already being thrown out for various sort of like, you know, centuries people had been looking at that. But this was a pretty big evidence that actually, no. This is beyond the moon. So things definitely change beyond the moon. And then Brahe, Tycho Brahe's student was Kepler, who figured out the orbits of planets, like, you know, and came up with the planetary laws. And his data and his observations led to Newton, who came up with the gravitational theory. And one of his contemporaries was Edmund Halley, who predicted the path of or the reappearance of Halley's, oh, well, he didn't call it the Halley's Comet, but the comet <laughs> that will return in 76 years and then it turned out to be what we call Halley's Comet and the prediction turned out to be just perfect. So again, thinking in terms of that we can see things and we can predict that, hey, you see this thing that is you are seeing right now? It's going to be back in 76 years and it shows up. That is power of science, mm -hmm. power of thinking, but also the beauty of comments. Coming up, an update on how much money was raised during the farm stand fundraiser for the Massachusetts Farm Resiliency Fund yesterday. And another one of your gone but not forgotten memories of places in the 413. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. It's election season. Find information about Western Mass mayoral races in the NEPM News Voter Guide. Get information on the candidates and their finances, where to cast your ballot, and even if you're registered to vote. Now online at nepm.org slash vote. It's on H Jazz on the Mud. We'll hear new releases by trumpeters John Eric Kelso and Eddie Henderson. 
And Melchor Mays sings Let's Call the Whole Thing Off and Cheek to Cheek. Jazz on the Mode follows the world tonight at 8 here on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 is funded by New England Meeting House Design. Complete kitchen and bath designs and sales of cabinetry, countertops, and more. NEMeetinghouse.com. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We'd asked listeners to give us emails about what is gone from The Fabulous 413, but in their minds, not forgotten. Paying homage to that great segment on the television show Connecting Point, which emanated from WGBY here. Indeed. And we got a great email from Mike Hunsicker in Leiden, Massachusetts. From early 1988 until late 1992, I worked at a store called Del Padre in the video rental half of the store. They also sold and rented TVs, VCRs, stereo equipment, as well as furniture. Del Padre was located at 60 Well Street in Greenfield from sometime in the early 80s until they closed the doors and went out of business sometime in 1994. It was the first and for several years the only video cassette rental store in Greenfield. Del Padre was a family-owned business. Their original store was located in Springfield, but they expanded over time to Westfield and Greenfield. Greenfield. The family atmosphere in the store was apparent. During the peak of the video rental boom in the mid-80s, long before the invention of DVD and the internet as we know it today, and anything like video streaming, which was strictly stuff of science fiction movies, the Greenfield store was a constantly busy hub of activity in the Greenfield community. It was inevitable that one would run into friends and family there no matter when you went at a mere dollar per day rental fee per movie. Oh my gosh. It was a deal that everyone wanted in on. And if you didn't own a VCR, they were still pretty expensive then, costing hundreds of dollars. You could rent one of those too. It was commonplace for total strangers to break into spontaneous discussions about movies in general as well as ask for or provide recommendations, people would often say to us something like, I was bored and I thought I might rent a movie, but I really just wanted to see who I might bump into here. The overall friendly atmosphere created by both the employees and patrons made it into an enjoyable place to work and definitely sparked my lasting love of movies. The store and its role of being an inevitable and looked forward to stop often daily for just about everyone around may be gone, but definitely not forgotten. We were all constantly aware of one little catchphrase in those long gone days at the video store, and the underlying sentiment can be applied to most things in life. Please be, please be kind and rewind. Words to live by. Thank you for sending that Mike Hunsicker in Leiden, Massachusetts. I'd that never is, heard that of that That itself video is store. also a really good movie. Anyway. Yes. Well, be kind, rewind. Yes. Yes, that is excellent. <laughs> I, that reminds me of uh, Pleasant Street Video, where I spent an awful lot of time Talking to Bill Dwight and Philip Price across the counter, talking about movies or watching the Red Sox on the TV behind them. And also for the otaku and me, the the comic book store in the Hampshire Mall that used to rent out anime. Tomorrow on the Fabulous <laughs> 413. Oh, oh, I forgot about the update. We yes. raised, with your help and other people's help and the radio stations in Northampton's help, uh, over $27,000. And businesses help as well for families. Uh, for farmers in the 413 through that farm stand. So, to that we say, keep going. Yeah. They still need your help. It's still flooding and raining and maybe hurricaning. Seriously. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the fabulous 413.